0: is on the problem of evil. and We got a lot of ground to cover this morning. We want to start by reiterating the point that we made last week. So get two places in your Bible, John 18 and Isaiah 1. John chapter 18 and we'll look there first and then turn quickly to Isaiah chapter number one. Try to follow along as best you can. Fill in the notes in the outline there in your bulletin. And let's see if the Lord can help us with this truth. John 18 and Isaiah 1. In John 18 and verse number 38, John 18, verse 38, the Bible says, Pilate saith unto him, That is Christ, what is truth? He asked a valid question, but when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews and said to them, I find in him, no fault at all. So Pilate was like many. He had a valid question. He just didn't stick around for the answer. And there are some people who have legitimate questions and there are others. There are many who have regurgitated excuses. And we want to be able to give an honest answer to sincere questions and we need to be able if necessary. We need to be able if given the opportunity to invalidate the excuses that people use to reject God and the Bible. So Pilate asked the question, but he wasn't interested in the answer. And many people ask similar questions to this day. And it's one thing to have a question, another thing to have an excuse. In fact, God is not against asking questions. Isaiah 1 and verse number 18, Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow, though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. The Lord is not opposed to reason. God is not against asking questions. Now it is impossible to please him without faith, Hebrews eleven six. 6. But we have to understand that faith and reason are not mutually exclusive that's what this world would have you to believe that faith means that you're believing something that is not reasonable but they have misdefined what faith is you you do have to make the decision to submit your brain and your reason to the Word of God, but that is by no means to say that when you come to church or when you open the Bible, you take your brains out and you set them aside and you can't think critically. No, the Lord said, I want to reason with you, with the end result being, I'm taking away your sins. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord, just to further solidify that point turn with me to jeremiah chapter 12 just after isaiah there in the old testament jeremiah chapter number 12 and verse number one it's a great example of this jeremiah 12 and verse number one the prophet said righteous art thou o lord when i plead with thee yet let me talk with thee of thy judgments. Wherefore doth the way of the wicked prosper? Wherefore are all they happy that deal very treacherously? This, this passage to me is helpful because here, Jeremiah is just being completely honest with the Lord. Jeremiah is doing what the psalmist said and pouring out his heart before the Lord. Jeremiah goes to God and and is very upfront with the question that he has and said, God, I have got to ask you something. There's a problem that, uh, that 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 is bothering me in my mind. And listen, if you've got something in your mind and heart, the Lord knows it anyway. The best thing you can do is just to go honestly and humbly to him. And we note that in Jeremiah's Example, He gives the Lord an opportunity to address his concerns, but he is very open about the reality that any problem is with him and not with God. He starts with, Righteous art thou, O Lord. God, I know that you're right. I'm just having a hard time understanding how. Lord, I I, I am coming to you and acknowledging that I am the problem, but will you help me with this problem that I have? Okay, and Jeremiah is taking his question to the Lord. Now that brings us to the question we're going to consider this morning. Come with me to Habakkuk and hopefully we're going to make it back to this book by the time we end the lesson. But there's an entire book of the Bible that is dedicated to this question we're discussing this this morning uh, called the problem of evil or the problem of suffering. We'll define that problem here in just a moment but look quickly at Habakkuk chapter 1 and verse number 1 the burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see probably should have given you a little bit more time to find Habakkuk this is not an easily found portion of scripture if you're using a Schofield Bible it's page 955 the burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see O Lord how long shall I cry and thou wilt not hear even cry out unto thee of violence and thou wilt not save why dost thou show me iniquity and cause me to hold grievance for spoiling and violence are before me and there that raise up strife and contention therefore the law is slacked and judgment doth never go forth for the wicked doth compass about the righteous therefore wrong judgment proceedeth behold ye among the heathen and regard and wonder marvelously for I will work a work in your days which ye will not believe though it be told you uh Habakkuk is highlighting a number of things violence in verse number two and iniquity in verse number three and grievance and spoiling and violence and strife and contention and judgment and the lack thereof and wrong judgment proceeding and 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 Habakkuk sees all these things taking place around him and the rest of the book Habakkuk is unique in this respect The book of Habakkuk is a conversation between God and the prophet. Most of the prophets, you have the man speaking for God to the people, right? Um, They're preaching messages. They're calling upon the nation to repent. But in the book of Habakkuk, this is just God and the prophet speaking back and forth. Let me read you just a paragraph uh, from Brother James's book, Understanding the Old Testament, the Old Testament survey book, Habakkuk could not reconcile his belief in a good and righteous God with the conditions he observed. He was perplexed yet trying to cling to God. Pouring out his soul in prayer, he waited patiently for an explanation. We can learn a valuable lesson from this man. When faced with a seemingly insurmountable difficulty, he took it to God. Instead of abandoning his faith, he sought the Lord until he got Some answers. Okay, all of that leads us into what we want to talk about, and that's the problem of evil. The first thing we have to say is that there are two kinds of evil. Number one, there's natural evil, and number two, moral evil. Number one, natural evil, and number two, moral evil. What's the difference? Well, natural evil is any catastrophic occurrence that causes pain and loss but is not the direct result of a personal choice to sin. Natural evil would be like a natural disaster. A natural evil that, that is very much a part of reality upon the earth. Things like hurricanes and earthquakes and tornadoes and tsunamis and fires and sickness and disease and pandemics. Those, those are evils that exist in the world And ultimately, we'll study that it is the outcome, it is the result of sin, but these evils are not the result of any individual specific sin. This is just pain and loss that exists as part of this world as we know it. Natural evil. Then moral evil. Moral evil is different. It's sin that proceeds from the human heart. Moral evil or things like rape and murder and slander and theft. And when Jesus said that love is the fulfilling of the law, here is what that means. When you love your neighbor as yourself, you will not sin against your neighbor. But if you love yourself more than your neighbor and you sin against your neighbor, those things are hurtful, they are harmful. Sin brings pain and suffering into this world and it is an undeniable fact that evil exists and the bible does not try to deny that or shy away from that the bible is very upfront that man is born into trouble as the sparks fly upward man that is uh, born of woman is few days and full of trouble now why is that a problem why are we talking about i mean it's obviously a problem but Uh, what is the framework of our conversation and our study this morning well the problem of evil is one of the most discussed objections to the existence of God it is a top reason that many unbelievers give for their unbelief and here's the way that it's presented if God is all-powerful then he can prevent evil if God is loving then he will prevent evil So if a perfectly good and all-powerful God exists, there should not be any evil. But there is evil, therefore God does not exist. That's the argument. Okay, Either God's not able to prevent evil, meaning he's not all-powerful, or he's not willing to prevent evil, meaning he's not benevolent, because if he was willing and able, then he would, but he doesn't, so he's not real. That's the way that people reason this out. And it's a valid question because there is evil in the world and God is all-powerful and he does love us. And so that might cause you to stop and ponder some things. A Barnapol asked, if you could ask God one question, you knew he'd give you an answer. What would you ask? And the most common response was, why is there pain and suffering in the world? You probably heard of C.S. Lewis. He found the problem of evil, a stumbling block that initially prevented him from coming to faith in God. He would put this problem to Christians and was always unsatisfied by their answers till he realized the problem with his own viewpoint. As an atheist, he did not believe there was anything really evil, only pain in a world of pain. But if there was real evil, he needed an infinite standard by which it could be judged. Thus, by considering the nature of evil, he reasoned himself back The Lord. But you understand that people do have a a problem with this. Maybe you've tried to witness to somebody. I know it's happened to me on multiple occasions. You've tried to witness to somebody, and this is the objection that they raise. This is the question uh, that they ask. This is the reason they give why they do not believe in God. Think, think, Think about this. Have you ever had that conversation? Have you ever had this question asked? What way did you respond? What answer did you give? Or if faced with it again, what answer would you give? Now, it's not an illegitimate question, it is an illegitimate excuse. But it's not an illegitimate question. I was telling Lauren last night, I remember being a teenager in Alabama and we were going door to door and I was the one doing the talking and we visited this family and I tried to witness to the man. He was a young man, young family. And he asked me the question, if God is good, then why is my baby dead? And that's, that's a valid question. Now, there are valid answers to the question the Bible has the answers. We're going to talk about it this morning, but it's important that we think this through and it's important that we're ready to give an answer to every man that asketh us a reason of the hope that is in us. So how can evil exist if God is good and if he is all-powerful? That's the question. And a number of points in response to that. First of all, every worldview must face the problem of evil every worldview must face the problem of evil this is probably where I'd start with someone who's trying to use this question as an excuse every worldview must face the problem of evil rejecting God and adopting a secularist worldview doesn't eliminate the problem of evil if you decide to become an atheist, that doesn't make pain and suffering in the world go away. It doesn't address it in any way. In fact, it just makes it impossible to define and to, and to account for the pain and suffering that's in the world. It doesn't matter what position you take. Evil exists. It's a part of reality on life on the earth. Uh, the only thing that atheism eliminates is the solution to the problem. Yes, evil exists, but if you take God out of the equation, you've taken out the only one who has the ability to address it. Does that make sense? If you want me to abandon my position for your position based on this issue, you've got to show me the way in which your worldview addresses the issue. How does atheism address the problem of evil? It doesn't doesn't do anything to make it better. The fact of the matter is, as C.S. Lewis found, is that atheism can't even define the problem of evil. Because in a secularist, relativistic worldview, there's no way to account for good and evil. So, point number one, every worldview must face this problem. Point number two, evil is a product of man's free will. Evil is a product of man's free will combined with that, God's holiness and God's love. This is true of moral evil directly. You understand, moral evil, man's sin, natural evil is just the state of conditions on the earth as a result of man's sin. But the reason that evil exists is because God gave man... Of free will. And we'll look at those verses here in just a second. But understand this is an important point. The problem of evil is how can God be good and allow evil? But I have an equally relevant question How could God be good and not allow free will? Do you understand? God is criticized for giving men the ability to make the choices they make that hurt others but if God didn't allow you the ability to make your own choices, you'd criticize him for that. Like you can't have it both ways. You can't criticize God for not stopping evil, but then, that, then ask that God not interfere with the way that you want to live. It's a double standard. Okay, So God gave man free will man exercises that free will in such a way that it brings evil into the world. Let's trace this quickly from the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verse number 28. Genesis chapter 1, and in verse number 28, the creation week, sixth day, God blessed them and God said unto them, the man and the woman, Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. Notice in verse 28, God blessed them. Notice in verse number 31, God saw everything that He had made, and behold, it was very good. So God made a perfect environment, everything was good, placed man and woman in a garden, and blessed the man and woman, gave them one commandment. Chapter 2, verse 15. And Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to dress and to keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Now, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I think sometimes this is confusing if they were aware that the tree existed and if God had given them the commandment, not to eat it then certainly they knew the difference between good and evil that's not the type of knowledge we're talking about here this is not intellectual this is experiential if that's a word this is the knowledge of experience this is if they were to eat that fruit they would know they would experience what evil is they would they would realize the hurtful consequences of disobedience to God and in chapter 3 you know the account they took of the fruit they ate they hid from God the Lord came looking for them and he pronounced a curse upon the earth as a result of man's sin moral evil is their disobedience to God natural evil is a result of the fall of of man, That's why we listed Romans 5.12. This is the verse I gave that man on visitation that day. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Adam brought sin into the world. Sin sin brought death in the world but Jesus Christ came so that we can have eternal life. That little baby died because this world is is death is a part of this world because sin is a part of this world but Jesus Christ came to reverse that curse to take away sin to make it possible for you to see her again okay look at Genesis chapter 6 and verse number five you're still in Genesis Genesis 6. In verse number five, and God saw that the imagination—sorry—that I'm the wickedness of man was great in the earth; that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. I'll, I'll read to you Mark chapter seven, what Jesus said in verses twenty through twenty-three, and He said, "That which comes out of the man that defileth the man, for from within, out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness." Wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, and evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. Evil is a product of man's free will, uh, the exercise of man's sinful nature. Okay? Point number three God addresses the problem of evil in a number of ways. God addresses the problem of evil in a number of ways. Remember, if you take God out of the equation, all you've eliminated is the solution. What has God done to address this problem? Several things. First of all, God offers comfort. God offers comfort. Second Corinthians chapter 1-3 says, He's the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulations. So Psalm 46, 1 says he's a very present help in time of trouble. He promised us in Hebrews 13, 5 and 6, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper in Hebrews 4, 14 to 15. He's a great high priest, and he's touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin, and we can come boldly to the throne of grace and obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. In Psalm fifty-five twenty-two, the Bible says, "Cast thy burden on the Lord, and he shall sustain thee." In Romans fifteen thirteen, the God of hope fill you with all hope and joy in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. In Psalm thirty-four, in verse number eighteen. The Bible says the Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Listen, there is evil in the world. There are things you're going to experience as a result of the choices that you make. There are things you're going to experience as a result of the choices that others make. There are things you're going to experience as a result of the choice that Adam made in the garden. But every step along the way, if you will reach out to the Lord, you'll find he's not very far from every one of us. And he'll give you the hope and the comfort and the peace and the strength that you need in that time of trouble. The problem of evil is not a good reason to abandon God. It's a good reason to run to God so that he can help you in the evils that you face. B, God works all things together for good God works all things together for good all things aren't good and God doesn't cause everything that happens to happen I think I think that's a great misunderstanding of the nature of God Uh, they say everything happens for a reason yeah sometimes the reason is you're stupid and you make bad decisions (laughs) God, God didn't have anything to do with that, right? But here's what God can do. He can take whatever happens and use it in your life for your good and for his glory, Romans eight twenty eight, And God is able to make all things work together for good to them that love him and are called according to to his purpose you've heard the analogy several times before i'm sure when you're going to make a cake any one of the ingredients taken together it's going to be pretty bitter going to be pretty disgusting going to be pretty nasty if you just crack an egg and down it some people enjoy that most people don't you take a cup of flour yeah put that on your plate and get a fork or a spoon and see how that tastes cocoa i mean chocolate is delicious cocoa is disgusting right? Any one of the ingredients together, but then you take it all and you, and you mix it together and you, and you put it into the heat at just the right temperature for just the right amount of time. And it could be a delicious uh, birthday cake, right? And so God is able to take all of the bitter things in your life and the difficulties that you face and the problems you have and the troubles that come your way. And listen, if you'll submit to him and if you'll humble yourself and if you'll allow him to work in your life and if you'll follow his direction, he can take those bad things and bring something good out of it. You take those bad things and he can Give you strength and make you able to help somebody else. That's what Joseph realized in Genesis 50 verse 20. It's the Old Testament equivalent of uh, Romans 8, 28. Ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass it as it is this day to save much people alive. God works all things together for good. And then God promises final justice. God promises final justice. Look with me at Ecclesiastes chapter 12. We don't have time to look at all of these passages this morning, but turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. God promises final justice. In what way does this address the problem of evil? Let's read the verse and we'll talk about it. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. Ecclesiastes 12, 13 and 14. The Bible says, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Here, here is how this truth addresses the problem of evil. There is a day of reckoning for those who, by their choices, bring pain and suffering into others' lives. Under under an atheistic worldview, Adolf Hitler got away with it. From a biblical worldview, he didn't. You understand that? From a secularist worldview, there is no retribution, there is no justice. But from a biblical worldview, there is a day of reckoning for the dictator, for the murderer, for the rapist, for the child molester. They don't get away with it. Yes, there is evil with the world, but if you take the long of view, you will understand and recognize God's going to deal with it. God's going to settle the score. God's going to bring every work into judgment. You eliminate God, you eliminate justice. He's the only one with the power and authority to mete it out. So God promises final justice. And then God provides ultimate redemption. God provides ultimate redemption. Look at 1 John 4 and Romans 8. 1 John 4. Romans chapter 8, 1 John 4 and verse number 7, 1 John 4 verse 7, the Bible says, Beloved, let us love one another, for loves of God, everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God, he that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. And this was manifested, the love of God, toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son in the world, that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us, and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man has seen God at any time. Verse 13, hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us because he hath given us of his spirit. Verse 14, And we have seen and testify The Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Somebody said, Why do bad things happen to good people? And somebody said, That only happened once and he volunteered. I'm we'll say that one more time. Let's think about it. Why do bad things happen to good people? That only happened once and he volunteered. Do you understand the Bible says there is none good? No, not one. There, there, There was one who was man and God and was good. And what did he do? He suffered the ultimate evil. He took our sins on the cross. He paid the penalty so that we could be saved. He became our substitute. He offered himself an atonement and sacrifice for sin. Why? So that we could be forgiven. We could be redeemed. We could have eternal life. We could live forever with him in heaven. God provides ultimate redemption, there is evil in the world, but one day it will be eradicated through the work of Jesus Christ. So if you're using the problem of evil to reject Jesus Christ, you're rejecting the solution to the problem that you're clinging to. Romans chapter 8, this is for individuals as well as creation. Romans chapter 8 and verse number Eighteen Romans chapter 8, verse 18. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. We need to learn to compare time to eternity. And time is all we know. And so it's a lot easier for us to understand. And we feel it so much more keenly. And the pain and the difficulty is very real. But the Bible says that when we get to eternity, there's going to be no comparison between the, the suffering versus the glory. The glory will so outweigh the suffering because of what Jesus Christ has done. Verse number 19, For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him was subjected to the same in hope because the creature itself also should be delivered from the bondage of corruption and the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together. Until now. And the passage goes on to speak of the redemption of our body and being saved by hope and the Spirit helping our infirmities and all things working together for good and nothing being able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. I'm telling you, God does address the problem, He provides redemption. Don't have time to return to the book of Habakkuk this morning. We might do it next time. Uh, that we're together but let's let's just go back quickly and review what is the problem how can God be good and powerful and allow evil well the way that he can do that is by giving man a free will and if you take God out of the equation all you've eliminated is the solution because he's the one who offers comfort and he works all things together for good promises final justice and provides ultimate redemption Mark Spence asked a good question uh, that you can keep in mind when witnessing and somebody brings this up. If God were to show up at 12 o'clock to get rid of all the evil in the world, where would you be at 1201? That's something good to think about. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for your goodness, your love, your grace. Lord, help, help us to learn these truths and pray they be firmly embedded in our hearts. Help us to use this information, uh, Lord, to help somebody else, and we love you. In Jesus' name.